Well, good morning. Um, let's, let's open up the prayer real quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we come to you today with open hearts, uh, with, with open ears, to be receptive for your word. And Lord, may I be a vessel for your word, and may me, James McHenry, not get in the way of that word. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, okay, so we're still correcting Christian cliche, right? Uh, and our cliche for today, and uh, we're going to start out and raise your hand if you've heard this one, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Okay, everybody. <laughs> All right, uh, raise your hand if you have had this told to you in the middle of a particularly trying time in your life. Okay, now be honest. How many of you wanted to punch the person in the face who said it to you? Okay, pretty much everybody, all right? Okay, yeah, I mean, that, that's truthful. That, that's good to go. Um, so I, I want you to remember whenever somebody does say something like that to you, specifically, specifically this phrase, to remember Jesus' words, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, because they don't know what they're doing. I have not known what I was doing whenever I've said it to folks, and I can't even remember how many times that I have passed this on to somebody who came to me and said, man, I've got this, 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 and then this happened. And I look at him and I go, oh, hey, God never gives you more than you can handle. I, okay, I threw God in there and now I'm out, right? And I guarantee you that guy or girl wanted to punch me in the face, and rightfully so, okay? So um, <laughs> there was a, a member here at Redeemer who not long ago said that uh, a specific instance in her life, somebody came up to her and said, uh, hey, how you doing? And, and she said, well, this and this is going on. And they said, well, God never gives you more than you can handle. And she says, well, um, I'm pregnant and my husband just left me. So tell me again how this works, that God doesn't give me more than I can handle, right? Truth in that statement. And, and you name it. Maybe you lost your job, your child is sick, your husband and wife are dealing with a chronic or a terminal illness. You just lost your mom or your dad, or all of those things have happened all at once, right? Or it might be the buildup of everyday stuff, your finances, pay cuts, your house floods, your roof leaks, your car breaks down, your dog dies, your husband or wife are dealing with depression, you don't know how to pull them out of it, right? All of those things build up. And I'm sure there are a ton of other things that we've all dealt with that we are dealing with right now. And some well-meaning Christian out there or a well-meaning person who wants to bring God in and doesn't know how says, well, don't worry, he's not going to load you up with more than you can handle. <coughs> but I want you to take heart, even if you have said it, okay, even if you've had it said to you, um, I'm going to read a quote to you, here, let me find it, wherever it went, God never gives us more than we can handle, I just wish he didn't think so highly of me. You want to know who said that? Mother Teresa, right? So if Mother Teresa said it, we get a pass. Okay, that's my belief. Uh, and, you know, maybe you identify with her on that one, that you think God thinks more highly of you. Maybe he has more confidence in you than you do, right? And there's some truth to that, but maybe not for why we think. <clears throat> but uh, I want to jump into the Scripture today. i got to give a little bit of a backstory. got to put it in context, right? How many of you have heard the story of Jacob wrestling with God in the wilderness? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay, and typically in Christendom today, we think of, of what the overall message of that story is, is wrestling with God in prayer and trying to figure out His will for our lives. Well, that's true, but there's a, a much deeper meaning. But let me give you a little bit of backstory. So, 
Abraham fathers Isaac. We know that story, right? Isaac and Rebekah get together, and they have Esau and Jacob. Esau is the older, Jacob is younger. Esau <clears throat> literally had the like wolfman thing going on, as it says. He was covered in hair, right from his head to his toe. He was a man of the woods. He lived outside. He, he was a hunter, right? He was, his spirit was wild. And it says that Isaac loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. Jacob, on the other hand, <clears throat> was quiet, very wise, more introspective. He stayed home. He took care of mom and dad's flocks, right? And so Jacob was mama's precious little boy, right? And so uh, Rebecca favored him more than Esau. So it was tradition in those days that the older son, in this case Esau, would get the birthright and the blessing from his dad, from Isaac, when that time came. And Jacob knew that, and he also knew that Esau probably really didn't appreciate it and probably wasn't going to put it to the best use, so Jacob had a plan. Esau comes in from hunting one day, Jacob's got some dinner made, and Esau said, hey, give me what you got, I'm hungry, been hunting all day. And Jacob said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the food if you give me your birthright. And Esau, just as Jacob had suspected, said, hey, what's that birthright to me, what's this blessing to me, it doesn't, okay, whatever, just give me the bowl of food, you can have my birthright. And so he trades it out, right, for this bowl of whatever it is. Rock along now, Isaac has gotten sick, he can't see, and it's time for him to pass on the actual birthright and blessing. And Rebekah and Jacob both know that Esau, once again, is not going to use his birthright. Esau is ignoring the fact that he has already basically traded it to Jacob. And so they step in. She tells him, hey, Jacob, I want you to go get this coat covered in hair, and you're going to go, your, your dad can't see a thing, right? He's blind as a bat. So you're going to go up to him, and he's going to put his hands on you. I want you to tell him that you're Esau, and so he's going to give you the blessing, right? While Esau is out, because Isaac tells Esau, hey, go out and, and go and hunt, kill something, bring it back, and prepare it for me, and when you present that to me, then I will give you my blessing. And so Rebecca and Jacob kind of conspire over here, covers him in hair, she cooks a meal that's going to taste the same, and they deceive Isaac into giving his blessing instead of to Esau, to Jacob, right? After Jacob re receives the blessing, he leaves. He goes off and he finds a wife, right? And he has a whole bunch of kids and he's living high on the hog because he just inherited everything, all of the land, all the animals, everything. He got it all. And his brother was kind of put out to the cold. And so he lives his entire life with all of these blessings, and then the time comes where he needs to return home, and so he knows that Esau is what? Probably not going to be very happy with him after all these years, right? So he comes up with a plan. He's like, okay, I'm going to send some messengers out ahead of me. I'm going to let Esau know that I'm coming, and I'm going to let him know that I got a bunch of stuff for him, right? Got all that stuff I took from him. I've got a bunch of gifts that I'm going to give to him. And so he sends the messengers out, and they come right back, and they say, hey, your brother Esau is actually on his way here with 400 men, so I'm not sure what that's about. And Jacob's like, uh-oh, okay, plan B. So I'm going to send a bunch of caravans out there, right? There's gr groups of gifts and animals and all of these things as offerings to Esau, but he splits them up. So he's got one group, and then he, he said, okay, we're going to keep a little distance from the first group to the second group, and then there's going to be a third group. And all of these are going to be caravans full of gifts and presents for Esau. So what he's trying to do is soften the blow. And his instructions to him are, when they arrive and meet Esau, they say, hey, 
These are gifts and offerings from your brother Jacob to ask blessing upon him, right? And so Esau is going to see the first one, and he's going to get all these gifts, and then Jacob's plan is he sees the second one, and he gets all the gifts. And so by the time he actually sees them, there's going to be peace, and everything's going to be okay, and he's not going to kill him. But Jacob still has another plan. Call it plan C. It's an exit plan. And so the last thing he does is he sends his wife and husband and all of his children and everything else across the Jabbok, across the river, but he stays back by himself. And what's implied here is that Jacob's exit plan, if his brother, and he says, if my brother decides to attack with his 400 men and he attacks one of my companies, then basically I can bail out and he's going to run away, right? But God's got a different plan for him. So that gets us into our scripture. So it's Genesis 32, 22 through 31. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now real quick, any time God presents himself in the flesh on this earth, who does he come in the form of? Right? Jesus Christ. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, because he hadn't figured it out yet, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Penuel, and he was limping because of his hip. So we're going to leave Jacob right there for a minute, okay? And we'll come back to that, all right? But I want to get back to our phrase, okay? And there's two words that I want to focus in on in this phrase. God never gives us more than we can handle. The first one is give, all right? A couple Sundays ago, David very wisely laid out in hate the sin and love the sinner, that cliche, that whenever we do that, when we use that phrase, that we unwittingly put ourselves in the shoes of the men waiting to stone the woman caught in adultery, right? Because we are blind to our own sin. In like kind, whenever we use this, when we use this cliche, we unwittingly put ourselves in a different set of shoes. We are saying God, to well-meaning, we're saying God doesn't give you more than you can handle. But as oftentimes as it is, when we say things, that's one thing. But people hear something different, right? You ever played the telephone game? Things change. And this is a little bit different even from that. What people are hearing is God is giving this to me. God never gives us more than I can handle, so God is laying these things in my lap, right? God is doing this to me. God is responsible for the misery in my life. You know what the problem with that is? About 50 yards that way is Highway 6, right? And I'd lay 10 to 1 that while we're sitting here right now, hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people will drive by. Definitely today, that many will drive by this place. And the people sitting in the seats of those vehicles, many of them 
have grown up in households that have only known, their only idea of God is one of judgment, of one of punishment, vengeance. There's nothing loving about the God they grew up knowing, right? And so when we use this phrase to them, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. We are only reinforcing their negative beliefs about the Father, right? We mean well in our hearts, but that's not what they're hearing. And the problem is, that's dangerous when you think about it. And the other thing it tells us is that what we say as followers of Christ matters. Words have meanings. And people hear differently than what we're trying to convey sometimes, so we've got to be careful. That's why we're doing this whole series. So George MacDonald put it like this, and I love this quote he has with regards to what God does give us. He said, man finds it hard to get what he wants because he does not want the best. God finds it hard to give because he would give the best, and man will not take it. So you might be thinking, all right, James, if God doesn't do this to us, and God doesn't give us more we can handle, then, and he wants to give us the best, then what is this best you're talking about? Okay. To kind of convey that, I'm, I'll tell you this brief story. A few weeks ago, lost one of my cousins, okay? phenomenal woman. She was like a bundle of joy uh, everywhere she went, okay? Susie Bennis was her name. And uh, one of the, as a side note for you Aggies out there, she was one of the first uh, women to graduate from Texas A&M University, right? So at at any rate, lived life to the full. Uh, You could be in the worst mood imaginable. She walked in and everything was brightened up. And so she'd gone to Hawaii. She came home. She went to bed and didn't wake up. Woke up with the Lord, right? What a way to go. That's a way to go. At her funeral, her brother, who's a Catholic priest, got up and he opened up the eulogy with something that kind of made me shake my head. And he, for the first, he said, what is holiness? And I was like, yeah, you know, it was a thousand things run through your head, right? But then he said something and I started reaching for a pen. He said, holiness is availability. And I went, I have no idea what he's talking about, right? I said, man, I got to hear what he's got to say. I knew this guy was wise. I've known him all my life, but man, this was deep. When he got done explaining it, everything made perfect sense. And it has made me forever look at at our Heavenly Father differently. And so thank God I was there that day to hear this. God has always been available to us. From the time He spoke everything into existence to the time He rolls up the shutter, right? He is always always available. There is no busy signal with God when we cry out to Him. He is always there. It's the mystery of God. And to further drive this into context and drive this home, think of it this way. Hell is a terrible place, not because of fire and pitchforks, but because God is no longer available. Think about that, right? What does He give us? What is the best He gives us? He gives us Himself. He gave us himself in the garden, right? And we betrayed him and betrayed his trust when we plucked that apple from the tree. He came down and dwelled among us. Literally, the Greek translation, he pitched his tent among us. The visible image of the invisible God to show us what perfect humanity was. And we crucified him. He sent the Holy Spirit to us to remind us of what he taught to guide us every single day of our lives today, and at best, and I'm guilty of this, we don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. We kind of treat it as like this third wheel of the Trinity. 
right? Instead of a, a co-eternal uh, completion of perfect love. So what does this mean? He gives us himself. You say, that's great, James. I, okay, he gives us himself, right? But I'm still miserable. I know Jesus is there, but, but what are you really saying? Jesus tells us in John 14, 25-29 this. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. and Do not be afraid. The world gives us misery and pain and grief and frustration and heartache, you name it. And when it comes to the, to the game of bringing pain, the world brings its A game, am I right? But he doesn't shield us from it. He doesn't try to keep us from these bad things happening. Instead, he gives us his peace so that we can fight through it. And it's that moment, the most important moment for any human being, is coming to the realization that we can't do it on our own, and we have to rely on Him. And that brings us to the next word I want to focus on, and that is handle, right? God never gives us more than we can handle. Webster uh, defines that as controlling or understanding or controlling something, right? Being able to control something, right? And that's how we all see it, right? Being able to handle something. So uh, how many veterans do I have in the room? Any veterans? Okay, so... You, you will understand that. Everybody, you'll all understand this, but the veterans, you'll appreciate this. Um, a y- young man a few years ago, you know, on, the, on the, uh, the point of being able to handle things, he called me. He had, uh, a couple years before, he was going to the youth group over at Pearland FUMC, and, and he called and he said, James, I'm going to join the Marine Corps, right? And I said, okay, well, what can I do to, to help prep you for boot camp, right? Because I went that route, so I lo- let, me, let me help you out. And so we got him in the pool, and everything's squared away, and, and he's ready, but the pool, not the swimming pool, you get the pool of guys getting ready to go to boot camp, right? And so we, we get them all ready to go, and then two weeks before he's to leave for boot camp, he calls me. He's like, I need to talk to you. I said, What's up? And he said, I, uh, I'm not going. And I said, Things must have changed because when you raise your hand, you sign that, like, you're going, you know, but uh, I guess things have changed. He said, no, uh, I'm not going. I said, well, I mean, you're getting cold feet. I mean, what's the deal? And he said, uh, my family brought up some good points. I was like, okay, tell me what those are. And he said, uh, they, they really convinced me. That they're worried uh, in, in my mental state that if I go to boot camp, I won't be able to handle it. They're worried that when I go to boot camp, I'm going to crack right? I'm going to break and I'm not going to make it. And I go, man, whew. I said, I'm never one to tell you your family's wrong, but I'm going to tell you this right now. Your family is dead wrong. I said, but at the same time, they are perfectly dead on right. I said, look, dude, the purpose of boot camp, the purpose, at least in the, for the point of becoming a United States Marine, you're going to break. That's the point. It doesn't stop until you break, man, because you go in there knowing, I went in there knowing I was James McKendry. I came out knowing that I was somebody different because they had to break me, take that part away from me, right, and turn me into somebody else. The, the reason, man, and I, I, I was pleading with him, it was hard to change his mind. I said, you go 
to, the, to boot camp to be broken. The reason that the Marine Corps and the military at large is so effective is not because we learn how to take orders and do exactly what we're told. It's because they get rid of the self. They get rid of the individual, right? You were broken and you realize that the person on your left and your right are more important than you. You love them more than you love yourself. And when you break, then they can remake you into a Marine or a sailor or a soldier or an airman, right? So God doesn't give us more than we can handle. He gives us himself, which is way more than we can handle. And that realization is the most important human, for any human being to come to in all the eons of our existence. It's that breaking point and realizing that we can't handle him. Now, and listen to me closely on this because this is a debate that I go back and forth with a lot of people on, you know, and I still haven't fully figured it out myself because it's, it's kind of a mysterious balance. He only brings pain to us as a last resort, okay? And feel free. Any of you who have a take on this, I would love to hear it, okay? Because I've sought Scripture back, forward, upside down, trying to find a good, solid answer on this, and I'm still seeking, right? But he allows the world, we can agree on this, to wage war on us, basically, okay? If we don't know him, until we have exhausted our flesh and have been driven to our knees, right? And that terrible thread of pride that has weaved its way from the Garden of Eden until right now is finally broken, And we, on our knees and miserable, surrounded on all sides, finally cry out and cling to him in complete submission and surrender, just like Jacob did after wrestling with him all night. When we do cry out to him, he cradles us in his arms. The last verse in the 91st Psalm explains very well what he does, how he responds. He says, he shall call out to me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. He's good to his word. When we break, right, just like in boot camp, when we crack, we forget about ourselves. We no longer try to rely on ourselves. We become what? Selfless. We care more about the Lord and our fellow brothers and sisters than ourselves, and humility begins to set in. And as we know, humility is the beginning of wisdom. Our whole view of this thing that we call life has forever changed, but it doesn't stop there because we've been relying on this identity that we've built. And I'll use myself as an example, right? When I first moved home from California to Texas and took over a business, I, I was James McKendry. I was a captain in the United States Marine Corps. I was a Texas Aggie. I uh, had, had gone and done all these things, right? I'm a man. I don't break. I'm not going to take any medication. I'm stronger than that. Depression will never get me. Um, I can overcome anything myself. And then one day I found myself on my knees crying out to God because I couldn't handle it. Imagine that. He had to have me break to take that identity that I had, who I thought I was, and turn it into somebody he needed me to be. He needs me to be. And I'm definitely a work in progress. Don't get me wrong. <clears throat> Jacob had an exit plan, right? As we talked about earlier. He was going to run from Esau if he saw things were going south. So God let Jacob wear out his flesh all night long to see if Jacob would submit. And you notice in the scripture, he didn't submit to him. It wasn't until he reached out and dislocated his hip because he loved him enough to do it. 
And that's that mystery. God loves us enough sometimes to bring pain to us. If all else fails, if all the pain that the world brings, if, if all the misery we experience doesn't drive us into His arms, then He loves us enough to bring us into submission through a painful experience. There's a line in Job that says, Happy is the man whom God corrects, so do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. We have a loving God who's willing to do that, just as a father or mother disciplines their child to keep them from going down a path of destruction. So just like Jacob, he wants us to have our identity rooted in him and not in the flesh. Just like Jacob, we've got to cling to him in our brokenness and ask for his blessing. Right? Jacob told him, I will not let you go until you bless me. He's clinging to him because his hip is dislocated. Right? He can't even stand up. And we may limp away from the fight that the world brings. We may limp away from the discipline that God gives us. But we will limp away with a new birthright, a new identity, and a new mission. <coughs> because just as much as God loves you and me sitting here, He loves the hundreds and thousands of people that are passing by that don't know Him or who have a completely erred uh, concept of who He is. He needs us to forget about ourselves, be reconciled to our brother, just like Jacob was ultimately reconciled to Esau. When he finally met Esau, Esau ran to him and kissed him, forgave him everything that he did, and he was reconciled to him. And that's what God needed him to do, and that's why he gave him a new name, Israel, because it was through Israel that he would bless the entire world and bring salvation through the entire world. He had a bigger plan and a purpose. And just like for Jacob, <coughs> he calls on us, Forget about ourselves, be reconciled to those around us so that we can be vessels for his love and light to people that don't know him. Christ said in John 14, 29, at the end of that, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That is his message to us in the midst of misery and pain and strife and everything else. God does give us more than we can handle and we should be thankful for that every single day because we can't handle him and he gives us himself because he's always available. I will say this, <clears throat> took me a while to submit to him. So, if you have not submitted to him yet, I would highly suggest tapping out, okay? It's the best decision we will ever, and if you look at it this way, it's the best decision we can ever make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the trying times in this world drive us to our knees that we come to you. Lord, we know that as one person said, pain is, your deaf, is the deaf horn you used to rouse the deaf world. Well, let our ears be open and let us hear you through it. And let us turn to you and lean on you, rely on you, and submit to you every day of our life that we may be your vessel to those who don't know you. In your name we pray. Amen.